Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this episode of the Catholic Halos podcast. I'm Veronica Ambuel, Director of Communications for the Diocese of Colorado Springs, and I'm joined today by Deacon Doug Flynn, who's the Chancellor and General Counsel for the Diocese, and Deacon Patrick Jones, who's an award-winning author of Catholic Fiction and the founder of Catholic Halos. Before we get into our topic today, uh, Deacon Patrick, would you lead us in an opening prayer? Nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostrae. Amen. So, um, our topic for today is um, is uh, related to something that's been all over the news uh, these past couple of weeks, and that is uh, Russians' invasion of Ukraine. Um, what we're specifically going to focus on is um, the fact that uh, so many refugees uh, who are fleeing the war in Ukraine have obviously um gone to nearby countries, and uh, w- one of the biggest destinations is Poland. Uh, and before we get get into too much specifics about that, um, we kind of wanted to address the idea of, you know, why the church teaches that um, we are obligated to um, help refugees and immigrants. Um, so I, I wanted to um, start out by um, reading uh, paragraph 2241 from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, um, where it says, uh, the more prosperous nations are obliged to the extent they are able to welcome the foreigner in search of the security and the means of li- livelihood, which he cannot find in his country of origin. Public authorities should see to it that the natural right is respected that places a guest under the protection of those who receive him. Um, and I know Deacon Patrick, you were also, you had a, a gospel passage that related to this topic. There's, there's several, um, and it's at the foundation of it is, um, what's, what's the highest commandment? And that's love the Lord your God. And then the second is like to it, love your neighbor as yourself. And um, I wanted to read a the first part of a, a homily by St. Augustine. And this is taken from the Divine Office for Monday, the first week of Lent, which was this past Monday as we're recording this. Um, St. Augustine says, Some would say that by faith alone which, remember, without works is lifeless, you can gain eternal life, even if you fail to keep the commandments. But how can this be reconciled with what our Lord is going to tell those whom he sets off to the left? And he's. Uh, this is a homily on Matthew 25, where Jesus uh, separates the sheep from the goats, and the difference between them is uh, they served... The sheep served Christ on earth, um, and the goats did not, uh, in terms of giving him water to drink, 
uh, in the stranger, uh, clothing the stranger, um, meeting the stranger's needs. He sets off to the left, go into the everlasting fire, which was prepared for the devil and his angels. And with his reason for condemning them, not any want of belief in him, but their failure to do good works. He wanted to make sure that no one would expect to win eternal life by faith alone, which is dead without works. That is why he said that he was going to make a separation among the people of all the nations, who had been using the same pastures without distinction. This separation will make it clear that those who say to him, Lord, when did we see you suffering this or that, and did not minister to you, will be those who had believed in him, but had not taken care to perform good works, as if they were going to attain everlasting life by dead faith alone. So there's, within our Catholic faith, Christ calls us to love our neighbor as ourselves and as Christ. And we see that example in uh, St. Mother Teresa um, of Calcutta in everything that she did, uh, reaching out to serve Christ in all who were sick. And that that's what our call is. And so, so we wanted to, um, specifically focus on an effort that is, uh, taking place within the Diocese of Colorado Springs that's kind of being, um, spearheaded by, uh, one of our pastors, Father, uh, Gregory, who is the pastor of St. Peter Parish and Monument. Um, Father Gregory is a native of Poland and um, is is very much um, in touch with the people on the ground there who are working to um, welcome these Ukrainian refugees. Um, D- Deacon Doug, would you mind giving us some more details about that? Sure, yeah. Um so uh, Father Gregory uh, came here to the United States from the Diocese of Tarnov, which is in the southern portion of Poland. Oh, just maybe, I don't know how many miles, but uh, fairly close uh, between the Ukrainian border and the Slovakian border. And uh, he's been in contact with his bishop, and uh, the bishop actually sent Bishop Golka a letter just two, two days ago, I guess, uh, which... Uh, Father Gregory was kind enough to translate and and uh, deliver to um, Bishop Golka, and it's, it really is asking for aid, but it's also trying to give a sense of what's going on on the ground uh, in those south uh, eastern portions of Poland, where uh, literally uh, hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of refugees has pour, have poured in already from Ukraine. Um, Father Gregory also has a classmate who uh, is. Um, in Ukraine, uh, serving as pastor of a parish in Ukraine. So he's getting information from inside of Poland and also from inside of Ukraine on a daily basis as to what's going on and the, and the flood of refugees that's coming in. His estimate uh, earlier this week was that probably a quarter of a million uh, Ukrainian refugees, most of them women and children, because uh, some might have heard that uh, Ukraine has put a 
uh, stop on any fighting age men leaving the country. So a lot of women and children refugees are flooding into Poland. Um, father, the diocese father uh, was ordained in, uh, has probably had a quarter of a million maybe refugees. And the, the letter from uh, the Bishop of Tarnov basically talks about how in the first weeks of this crisis, uh, he took a polling of all of the parish um, places where there might be opportunities to house folks, talking about everything from parishioners' housing, pilgrim homes, shelters, uh, basically any any diocesan building from a cafeteria to a school uh, to a seminary were all being converted into uh, places to house refugees. And uh, so I think, Deacon Patrick, you had, you, you had seen an a article that others may have heard, but would you mind reminding us of that? The headline really struck me, Doug, in that it was uh, one million refugees flee from Ukraine to Poland without there being a single refugee camp. And it, it's such a simple stated statement of the facts, but it, it really brought home for me, okay, wait, all across the world when there's a war and people are fleeing it, there are these horrific refugee camps that are set up um, where trying to live in one of those looks like a uh, a really raw deal. And you're kind of wondering, gosh, if that was us, would we flee from the war or would we go to the refugee camp? Um, the fact that Poland is opening up its parishes, its homes, and just let's think about that if that was our diocese and a quarter million people poured into our diocese. Um, what would that look like and how would it stretch our resources? Let's understand that's what Poland is doing. That's what this diocese is doing. And uh, so imagine... Uh, a refugee family staying in your home and then you're trying to support them with the food and clothing they need and you're trying to support the the people at the at your parish who are staying in the parish hall um and the parish school you've got food and clothing shortages now that didn't exist uh a month ago that's where the world can help and that's what Doug, you're talking about how can we help? Sure, amen. And so the Bishop of Tarnov is talking about how sort of the difficulties in trying to handle the logistics of all of those uh, people within Poland and around the world who wish to provide everything from clothing to food to, um, you know, all of the necessities of life, uh, how to organize that and do it in a meaningful manner, an efficient manner. And I've been sort of overwhelmed by the um, thoughtfulness and the um, logistical uh, professionalism. Uh, you know, being an ex-military guy, I've seen a lot of those types of logistical movements, and uh, I just, I've never really associated those with the church, but it seems like, at least in Poland, um, dioceses do double duty there. Um, it, there's an interesting cooperation between the Diocese of Tarnov and uh, the national uh, organization, it's called Caritas, and I'm not 100% sure, but it sounds to me like Caritas in Poland is, is similar to the Red Cross here. It's sort of their national uh, clearinghouse slash organizational tool to try and get 
some uh, relief to refugees and uh, people who are suffering from other natural disasters, but in this case, man-made disaster. Um, but the Diocese of, of Tarnop sent a letter to the National Caritas saying that they had found uh, locations uh, in order to um, evacuate or accept evacuating children from orphanages in uh, Ukraine, uh, including over 7,000 orphans, some coming with and some coming without uh, their guardians. And uh, like I said, the logistical efforts were impressive. And so Tarnov itself, it sounds like each diocese probably has their own uh, Caritas branch or Caritas office. And that's where um, the Bishop of Tarnoff was asking for assistance from the Diocese of Colorado Springs to take up a second collection and provide some financial support through uh, the Caritas Tarnoff um, agency, uh, which, according to uh, the bishop and uh, Father Gregory, uh, will be 100 percent of that will go towards uh, assisting the refugees. Uh, no fees, no um, percentages sliced off. So for, for our parishioners who go to Mass this weekend and hear that there's a second collection to help um, refugees from Ukraine, especially those who have fled to Poland, uh, I think they can, they can feel very strongly that uh, this is a legitimate organization. Um, this may come as a shock, but early in the process, the bishop and myself and a number of other people uh, got not flooded, but we got a number of requests from sometimes expatriates, individuals, um, purporting to be doing similar things and everything Father Gregory had heard out of Poland and his diocese was, you know, 95% of those are people who just want to take the money and run. And it's sad that you have people who would try and prey on uh, a humanitarian crisis like this. But uh, as I said, I think between uh, Father Gregory's uh, connections, both with his classmate in Ukraine and with uh, friends and his bishop in Tarnov. Um, this, is a, this is an opportunity truly for uh, folks here in the Diocese of Colorado Springs to reach out in a very safe and uh, transparent way uh, to help these refugees thousands of miles away uh, in a way that uh, may not have otherwise been possible or may have been, people may have been, thought it was too risky uh, to actually donate and send money. But all the donations taken up in the second collection will be sent to the diocese. They'll do one straight wire transfer, like I said, with no fees or no other um, percentages being taken off the top. So it's a very safe and uh, effective and efficient way uh, for those of us here to try and unite in solidarity with uh, with our Catholic brethren in Poland uh, to try and serve and uh, minister to uh, refugees from Ukraine. Well, I think it's important, too, to understand that when Christ says, uh, love our neighbor, and we're thinking, well, they're on the other side of the world, so that's they're not my neighbor. Christ isn't talking geography only. He is talking fellow human beings in need. And because our world is so interconnected globally now, uh, our neighbor, as communications and as logistics of transportation has expanded, uh, our neighbor is now everyone on the planet. Well, and um, I, I, I guess I would just point out that um, Colorado Springs has a history of, you know, um, being concerned about uh, the Ukraine. And we, um, he's, 
as we know, Father Paul Wicker, you know, back in the mid nineties, um, started, uh, an organization called Catholic Outreach to Northern Ukraine. Now, um, I, my, with my rough idea of geography, um, the, you know, the, uh, churches in Northern Ukraine up until this point have, have not been in the direct line of fire. Um, as some of the other areas uh, of the country, um, of, of the Russians. But, you know, nonetheless, obviously the whole country is in crisis. But anyway, um, Father Wicker, you know, back in, um, the nineties, he saw the need. Well, you know, he was made aware of the need that, um, the Catholic Church back, uh, um, in, in Ukraine, well, first of all, Catholics are a very small portion of the population, but that they needed help recovering from, you know, decades of Soviet oppression. They needed help rebuilding their churches. They needed help um, paying for seminarians to be educated and so forth to serve as priests. And um, so uh, he, um, after, you know, making one or two trips out there, um, decided to st- start this organization and, um, they, uh, and, and so, uh, Holy Apostles Parish, where he was pastor, you know, that was one of the, um, ministries that they supported. Um, even, even though, you know, the organize, organization itself, you know, um, uh, isn't, isn't specific, isn't specific to, to Holy Apostles, but, um, you know, so, so we're, we're in, in one sense, we're fortunate, I think, in this diocese, um, that we, we were already pretty, um, we already had some, some insight into what conditions were like for the people there. I mean, and I think, you know, it's, uh, one of the things that I, I know I wasn't aware of, and I don't know if how many other people are, is that actually, the, the Ukrainians and the Russians have been fighting uh, along the border there for the last several years, you know. So um, when you talk about orphans, for example, um, some of these kids have already actually lost a parent in this war. And, um, well, and you can expand that history back centuries as well. Right. It's- yeah. 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 Right. Exactly. It's hardly hardly a new conflict. But um, I just, you know, I guess. uh you know, a, a couple, I think, um, you know, a couple, I, 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 over these past several weeks, I've really been thinking back to a couple of the interviews I did with Father Paul and, um, you know, hear him talk about how much the people had already suffered. Um, just the, just the simple fact, I mean, we all know this, but, you know, how the Soviet system worked so hard to destroy the concept of family um, and how so many of the women had had um, multiple abortions and, you know, things like that. Um, and things that sound very familiar now ac- across modern civilization, they've just snuck in in different ways, not under the direct Soviet uh, regime, but they, they've snuck in in other ways. Um, right. And, and I did want to jump in too, Veronica. Um, I was blessed to uh, be able to go over with Father Paul Wicker in 1996. Um, and the, 
the resourcefulness of the Ukrainians is just stunning. There was, um, uh, one of the things that stuck, struck out, sticks out to my memory now, uh, is, um, the, one of the, the women we, we were talking about, well, we need to get whatever it was that we needed to get. And she said, well, you don't go get something. You have to go procure it. Um, and so it's not like you're going to a shop or somewhere else. You have to have this network. And she did. She was this, this little old wiry, uh, mama Rita. Um, she had this network of people she, uh, connected with to, um, go and procure things. So she would vanish for however long and come back with it. Uh, and you had no idea where she went or how she went about it, but she came back with what was needed to, uh, to help the orphans or the medical staff that was there to, uh, to help with the dental work or, um, whatever the need was. And so, and, and that resourcefulness is part of Poland as well. They've gone through World War II. Um, being devastated by the bombing, uh, uh, that the, the Nazis, uh, did on, on, uh, Varsava, Warsaw, um, leveling it so there wasn't a single brick on top of another single brick it was the goal, uh, and they nearly achieved it. Um, and so they understand in their living memory, uh, what it's like to be where the Ukrainians are fleeing from and, and out of the love of their hearts, they're opening their homes and they are figuring out how to procure to Doug's point. They've got a supply line at a time when supply lines are breaking across modern globes, uh, the modern world. Uh, they've got supply lines that are, that are working and they're procuring these things. And, and it's our job to, uh, to help them because those are not sustainable supply lines. Right. And, and, you know, Poland is, isn't exactly known for being a wealthy country to begin with. Right. So, um, cause they, they, um, suffered, uh, just as much oppression, you know, under the Soviet system, uh, as Ukraine did. And, and so, um, it's, it's not, I, I mean, I've never been to Poland, but I suspect it's not like here where there's, you know, a Walmart every couple of miles or, or, or whatever. And, and, um, uh, you know, and, but I, I think, um, you know, on the, on the positive side, um, uh, this, this will, um, this will, this is a time where the Catholic church is really shining, you know, um, there's been, there's been a lot of, uh, or not a lot of, but there's been some negative press about, you know, um, Catholics in Poland over the years, um, and we don't need to go into all the history, but, um, the, this is, I, I think this is an opportunity for, um, you know, the Catholic Church in Poland to, to really, um, be a bright light, you know, in a, in a very dark time. And, um, you know, hope, hopefully it'll really, uh, advance the, you know, evangelization efforts there as well. Um, I mean, I think, um, we all know that, you know, once the, um, the Soviet system collapsed, uh, the, the, those, uh, former Eastern Bloc countries, I guess, as they're called, um, 
that, you know, the, the, the main, the first thing they, they seem to, um, embrace is kind of like Western consumerism, you know, um, and, you know, music and the clothing and, and things like that. And that, and, you know, that's understandable, but, um, I, I think, uh, the bigger challenge has been to, um, help them like look past that and try to, um, em- really embrace the Christian faith, uh, to, um, to, uh, get out of the, the secularist kind of athe- atheistic mindset that they've been in, um, for, for so, you know, for, for many years. And, um, again, you well, know, I think this is an opportunity. And I think we should, Doug, you've talked a lot on the logistics of what Father Gregory has set up. And, but you've got a real feel, uh, being at the same parish as he is, uh, for the love in his soul that is driving this also. Um, can you speak to that a little bit? No, absolutely. I mean, in so many ways, when he talks about it, you know, I, I can almost see in his eyes the memories of some of those places where uh, in Tarnop are being converted into these um, sort of refugee camps and hearing firsthand on a daily basis from his classmate who is has a parish in Ukraine. Uh, I guess, you know, earlier we talked about uh, the former Soviet Union and the, the communist desire to destroy the, the, the family. But um, Veronica, you just touched on too another prime uh, aspect of communism is to try and eliminate uh, religion, at least organized religion everywhere. And so I'm reminded of some of the uh, great stories out of Poland. I mean, uh, Pope John Paul the Great obviously was a seminarian and, and learned and, and preached his faith under Soviet totalitarian regimes. And, you know, who can't remember some of those pictures of him as a young priest um, in canoes, taking groups of young people on trips and then, um, you know, setting up uh, a cross for mass with the two oars from the canoe. Um, it's just, it's a testament to how the faith uh, can survive under the most brutal regimes. And, you know, uh, Deacon Patrick, I think I knew this, but I'd forgotten that you'd actually gone to Ukraine with Father uh, Wicker. So, that might be interesting for you to share kind of what you saw, not just on a logistics slash procurement standpoint, but of the faith of those people. Because I remember seeing some pictures from the CONUS um, um, website of Father Paul with, uh, you know, being at the side, uh, the bedside of um, women and children and, and men who were uh, suffering from all types of ailments. And the Catholic communities there were the only ones who were tending to them. Uh, and again, this was post-Soviet Union, but uh, I think Ukraine might have been a bit behind Poland in their efforts to, uh, to, to grow out from under the totalitarian regime that they uh, experienced. And, you know, Veronica, as you said, yes, there's a cultural shift towards consumerism and towards Western things, which, you know, to me just strikes this strikes me as the pendulum swinging away from you own nothing to, hey, wait, we can own things. But, um, Patrick, can you share a little bit more or maybe just a, a story or a vignette uh, that you recall from uh, being with Father in Ukraine in the 90s? I remember sitting around. Uh, we were invited into uh, people's homes for dinner, and 
it, it became clear after the first one, uh, that they were sacrificing a week's worth of food for their whole family to put that meal on. Um, and it was, it, it was impressive, uh, in terms of, of what they were feeding us before we understood that. And then after that, it was this painful grace to receive it of they're sacrificing because we're here as one body of Christ. That That's what they focused on. And so around this table, they would tell the different uh, stories of their, um, their life under communism and, and how they didn't know Christ and how the light of Christ came to them afterwards. Um, and then they would reach this point of, uh, saturation where that, that was all their, all the memory they could stir up. And, and they would say, now it's time to sing. And, and so they would break out the songs of faith, uh, and, and they would sing and then pass around the, the vodka, of course. Um, and, and so it was this, this deep, painful, poignant, joyous vibrancy of humanity recognizing that the things we've suffered, uh, unite us to Christ. And we're delighted and thankful that, that you've come from a place of plenty to help aid us and we're sacrificing to share our lack of plenty with you. Um, just a very poignant, loving, uh, delightful, uh, revelation of what does it mean to be Corpus Christi that, that informed my understanding of receiving Eucharist uh, in a way that, that it's hard to find words for. Well, we're, we're about out of time for this episode. So just, um, remind everybody to please, uh, keep an eye out at your parish. Um, it, it, it most likely will be this weekend. Um, the weekend of the, the 19th and 20, or um, no, I'm sorry, the 12th and 13th, excuse me, but it could be later in the month. Um, Bishop Golka, I think left it up to pastors to um, determine exactly when that second collection for Ukrainian refugees will take place. So um, please keep an eye open um, at your, at your church and um, uh, can continue to, uh, to pray uh, daily for, for them as well. Um, Just want to remind everybody that the um, past issues, uh, sorry, past, episodes, it's a newspaper person talking there, um, past episodes of the Catholic Halos podcast uh, can be found um, on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts, um, and other uh, podcast platforms. Um, and uh, so, so feel free to check out our past episodes and subscribe to the podcast as well. Um, Deacon Doug, would you mind leading us in a closing prayer? Certainly. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. 
Sancta Maria Mater Dei Ora Pronobis Peccatoribus Nunc et in Ora Mortis Nostrae. Amen. Thanks everyone for joining us on this episode of the Catholic Halos podcast.